Welcome back to the Just Go Grind podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the director of marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital and founder of Just Go Grind, a community and podcast for founders. On today's episode, we have Connor Ellison, one of our members, the CEO and founder of Pogger, the statistical foundation for the future of gaming. We dive into a wide variety of topics in this episode. Let's get to it. Connor, welcome to the show, man. Hey, how are you? Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, there's a lot to talk about always with any company. Uh, we talked a little bit about poker before, but for people who aren't familiar, explain this to the, to the world. What is poker? Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and we, we like to uh, call it poker, but there's a lot of, a lot of opinion. Yeah. Um, and it's our approach to pretty much the statistical foundation for the future of gaming. And while I know that's big, um, we can break it down to like our, <laughs> our thesis where there's only a few companies, uh, big video game studios that have developer portals other companies can build on top of, and they're not really communicating with each other. So our vision is a lot of the game data, and this is coming from multiple game developers on the smaller side, is just being unused. So we built an SDK, it kind of rivals a micro developer portal, and we'll go along and integrate it into all these games that aren't utilizing data adding it to the pool of big data and and taking this and then building on top of that. And you'll see things like player profiles that follow players' journey, even discovery tools, ways to analyze an esports org or manage a roster. Um, but the main point is really building that, that pipeline of data to our database and then organizing it and allowing it to be used in, in a, a better way. So you have quite the story with getting to this point. Um, I want to take a step back here. Why, first of all, like why even start Pogger in the first place? Like why, why for you start this company in particular? Yeah. Um, it, it goes back to me always being a gamer. Um, it was my safe space, but in particular after college, um, I had just left the music world. I was doing um, A&R at Atlantic. I was, I was interning. I was debating on if I wanted to move to New York, do the like full-time position. Um, and ultimately I realized that I didn't like music as much as I thought I did. And Fortnite had just started blowing up. It was like the first season and I had always been a good gamer and I'd been following this genre because Fortnite was the, the, the tip of the iceberg. There is H1Z1, there is PUBG, there was, uh, even, uh, I'm trying to think in Daisy standalone, there was, there was arm, all these little mods, uh, building up to this game. And I had been following the journey and I was like, let, let's spend some time on Fortnite. And I did. And there was these really early sites and they essentially were like, if you're good enough, you can bet money against other people. And I was great. Like I was really, really good. And this is kind of where I started to think of kind of this competitive profile for players because I was like, uh, for better or for worse, like once I would have a high rating on this, there wasn't really a way to like validate I was me so I could create new accounts and let's say make yep. a little extra money when you're a broke college student. And uh, I was like, if I can find this loophole, other people are like, there needs to be, and it, it got me my brain thinking. And then the interesting thing that really validated this was uh, Epic Games created an open API. Like pretty much every other game was locked in. Epic Games continues to push boundaries. And this API access allowed for people to not only build on the ecosystem from like uh, an actual like internal way, but like they could build businesses around it using the data. Obviously they had a very strict TOS um, and they had fixed out, but um, that was my introduction because I was able to like kind of 
play around. I had a first kind of company. It did all right. Um, but the whole thing was using that Fortnite API to like track results of you as a Fortnite player. Um, and it, and then it just got my brain working. I, I worked at FaZe for a little bit under Yusuf um, and started working in esports agency and doing the brand side. So I got a really strong understanding of the kind of issues in the gaming space as it was growing. And it really had to do with just no like kind of centralized thing. Everything was kind of blowing up at its own level and there wasn't yeah. some place to gather it together. There wasn't a central hub like a traditional places have. Seeing that and having that insight that there wasn't this central hub. I mean, you're looking around, okay, it's all vertical, whatever. Not like, not that one place. And you're like, okay, here's the thing I think about it with that. People have ideas all the time. They see opportunities all the time. And they don't build companies with it. Some people build yeah. companies with it. They see it in this opportunity. Like, yeah, yeah I'm gonna build a company with that. You obviously chose that route. Just take me through your thinking. It was like, you just love to build things. You like want to build things. Like what, what the motivation behind you starting a company behind this insight? Because that doesn't always happen for people. Yeah. So I got the itch early on. I had started my first company, t t normal t-shirt company, you know, merchandise. And I was love 16. It. Love it. <laughs> had multiple other ones on top of that. One kind of like those early drop shipping, then like management of artists, you know, I went through this kind of like tree of, and I realized I liked it. Obviously, most of them were just money and time waste, but you know, learning nonetheless. Um, so after I had kind of tested the waters with this previous esports company, and it didn't do that great, and I started working, like sure, I was saving money. I was like getting to like really see it, the game, like the gaming industry I loved in full swing. It wasn't like music where I stopped liking gaming. I still loved gaming because it was about community, you know, all better yeah. for worse. And I guess it was more of like, I met the right people when I was really starting to consider it. Um, all the other previous times, I kind of jumped into it eagerly because I wanted to test the waters, but I learned that that wasn't the way to do it. And I saw the opportunity sitting there. It's like, I had this right place, right time. Um, I had the, the two technical co-founders, Randolph and Juno, and one was great at back end, the other one was great at front end and could manage the product, you know, and it, I knew I could handle the rest, you know? So it was like this kind of perfect system and the esports team was rising and I had enough money saved because I, I was like waiting for an opportunity like this. And at least to like give a couple months of swimming room, like or like little little way to float yeah. myself. And uh, and yeah, I, we just kind of, we decided to go for it, you know? And I'm glad we did. It was definitely one of those calls. And I do remember this because I was like, you know, I'm 25, like I was on the cusp of 24, like just turned 25. I was like, a lot of my friends have six figure jobs, you know, are crushing it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, do I want to start over as entrepreneur? And entrepreneur kind of is a synonym to unemployed until it kind of works well, you know? So uh, I, uh, I I was like, I honestly was like, fuck it. Like, you know, like, like this will yep. be the, this will be the one I, I have faith. The last year and a half have been great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad it worked out because <laughs> it doesn't always, doesn't always work out. Obviously. No, I, know. Because I was, I was just talking to, uh, to, to Dan Kimmerling. I mentioned before this, uh, Desians, and we were just saying the same thing at the end. It's like, yeah, for, most people shouldn't be founders. Like, I don't think yeah. people realize that we see this like kind of sexy thing of like, yeah, it's in TechCrunch or whatever. And like people making millions and billions of dollars, but like, yeah. It's a small percentage of people who actually yep. make it. And these people work really fucking hard to get to that point. Like, I think that's yeah. kind of glossed over sometimes. But um, to that point, you make the jump. You're like, I got some money I can save up. Let's take a swing at this at least. Yep. And you go for it. 
you have co-founders already. So you have the team in place to build this thing. Take me through the funding side. Cause I know this took like a fucking ton of emails. Yeah. Just take me through yeah. funding this company, Connor. Yeah. And this kind of this period kind of goes hand in hand with why everyone shouldn't be a founder because I dictated his suffering, you know, and not even in the sense of like, like, this is hard work, you know, there's obviously other suffering, but it's a draining experience where like, you'll meet so many people who just don't believe in you, and will tell you they don't believe in you. Um, and, and ghost you and it's like, the worst side of dating, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant, you're selling your dream. And they're like closing the door on you. Uh, So thankfully, um, for us, it was happened. And I guess not thankfully, like it was, it was tough, but we were able to not have to go and knock on doors, we could just send emails because in the new kind of landscape, we started this in late 2021. So like emails were accepted by investors and that previously wasn't always the case, you know, it was who you knew, like setting up meetings, et cetera. So we were able to kind of build a strategy about identifying investors because none of us really had anyone in the space. So we just really pounded out what we wanted in a deck. I had worked with kind of one of my uh, earlier mentors, uh, a guy named John Emmons. He taught me like how to just reach out and do cold emails. And I kind of took it and ran. And when I was like essentially just building these cold emails and reaching and, and identifying people specifically for accelerator, pre-seed, like the earliest ideas of inception. Cause I was like, we have an idea. Our product's not going to be there. Like, I think we have a good team in like three months, four months. Can we get someone to like get us an accelerator? You know, I knew that was the like earlier way in. The VC gets good terms, you know, you kind of sculpt the early team. And uh, after about, like, I would say like a thousand emails for the first one, we got our first 100K. And that was from Ford Ventures. That was for a uh, kind of accelerator program for 10 weeks, which was a great experience. I highly recommend it for anyone who's not like sold a company or like worked a long time in a startup, like accelerator programs really, really great, especially for you, if you're all your founders are on board. Um, but the real journey, and this is where I kind of joked with you, it's like, I sent like upwards of like 10,000 emails for my seed round, you know, to get that 2.25 million. I, I was, I was taking what I had thought and had what had worked earlier and really went harder, but we were different. We were pre-revenue. Um, we did not have a product besides one client. Like we were working and building our kind of SDK the flow of the pipeline, validating everything we were doing to make it efficient with our discovery client. So it was working. They had opened up their backend. But when it came to revenue and like being able to onboard additional clients, like we were still a few months out. So it was one of those we and I think it circles back to what you're talking about, where a couple found uh, VC firms lead investments, high conviction, blocks of thesis. This newer fund venture rock just had a sports tech and they're like, the one thing that works with all sports tech is data, you know, like that needs to go with like everything in the space. So they saw the big picture um, and were willing to work with us. Have been in the last, we closed the end of, end of July after a long negotiation um, just because the market crashed. Um, yeah. But they've been extremely active helping us introduction. So it's exactly like you're saying. They were one of the few companies on their portfolio and like they're making sure that um, we get all the like attention and I would say connections that, that come into their, their world. So 
Okay, Connor. Uh, we gotta go back. So the emails yeah. you mentioned, though, for other founders wondering, and like you say, that many emails is like kind of insane. But like, what <laughs> was that? How are you building these lists? Like, what were you doing all day? Like, you block out eight hours, just like crank out emails. Like, just take me through more yeah. of that. Like, want to hear the real story of like this one? So from start to finish, it started with the clubhouse, like at era, like that's where I first discovered like people sending out lists. And I believe Saba was one of the first ones who had lists available to everyone. And he kind of showed it. It was like, I think like around maybe once you added all the lists together, like a thousand investors, you know, when you like went down to like all the verticals that worked for us, it was maybe 330, you know, but it kind of showed that in this space, like, if you looked on LinkedIn or you kind of went on Twitter or you were aware, like you can train algorithms for anything that you do. So if you kind of yeah. slowly train these algorithms to feed you kind of people who are interested in your space, have the same keywords, everything's SEO, like you could slowly build them. And, and mine was like, sure, there'd be moments I'd go and research them. And this would be found from like, let's say my friend allowing me to go through pitch book with him, you know, because he has an account. I can't afford it. So we're there. <laughs> so expensive. <laughs> yeah. So expensive working together, like going and doing hard and then going, transferring that over to a word document, writing it down, researching on the go, finding the websites, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that have them. You just have to be scrappy about it. I use, I, I started in Excel converted to Airtable so that I could really start using and taking advantage of, the different like filtering options for the different like let's say check sizes lead or not lead like what vertical like are they interested in so like as we were like curating what letter i would do a bunch of research at once and i would organize them and then i'd be like all right today all of these people are analytics focused these other ones are infrastructure focused these are gaming and esports you know so i could tailor the article I'd like do some final looks at their portfolio or Crunchbase, see if there's like any investments I can reference and just try and per I know obviously like I didn't personalize everything like down to a T. <laughs> like I had I had this like the skeleton that worked really well, like over a lot of like A B testing. And then it was mainly like filling in the blanks. It's like who they were, if they had done something like a big win from their fund, like something I realized from seeing their LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram. Like I, I try to wet, go on everything and make it personalized, see on the website, read a bio and the hours I allocated. I'm a, I didn't sleep a lot during this time. I liked the nighttime. So I would say around like 11 PM to like 2 AM was like my kind of sweet spot for like, no one was hitting me up. I would sometimes chat with Randolph, my CTO, because he was uh, like a <laughs> night owl as well. That's when he liked to code in silence. And like, we would, we would just work. Like we would just, you could get in a good flow. You could get like 500 to like 800 done researched in like a four hour period, you know, if you really like get into it. Um, and, and then you just scheduled it. Google only allows you to schedule like a hundred a day and you need to play with like, so you don't get sent into spam. You want to make yeah, sure you have yeah. a good open rate. So like, I worked my way into an email that had a pretty solid open rate and click rate because then I knew I wasn't going to be put into spam and then I could increase it more and more. And, but I wouldn't, one thing I never did is I never did like the drip or the automatic, I only scheduled it in there because I was like one mistake yeah. and I blasted out to a hundred people with the wrong name and I'm burned, you know? Yeah. But also like <laughs> I, I, if they click it and open it, I use mail track if they opened it and weren't into it, like maybe I'd send a follow-up if I really thought they were a good fit, like a couple weeks later, 
if they opened it, I was like, hey, any notes? And sometimes I'd get a response, but ultimately, like, if it if you put a deal on an investor's plate and they don't want it, you know, like they don't want it. If they want it, they'll pounce and you'll know it. You know, like I realized that yeah. really early. So it's just about putting it in a like an awareness in a spot where people might not look at it and then until one aligns, you know, and that's, yeah. So that's, that's... like kind of broken down. <laughs> okay. One more thing on that while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like rough format or email? Tell us more about that. You would send that you got, you obviously tested a lot of different things, right? So like, yeah. So my opening line, and I still remember this was, it was like, there's billions of matches, like gaming matches played every day what is happening with that data? Like, that was it. Like, that was like the first thing. And I was like, it's a question. And like, you don't know what's happening. And it's a big question. Like, you know, like you don't know what's yeah. happening with all of that. So I started with that. I introduced like, hi, like, this is who I am. This is why I'm reaching out to you. Like, cause the, like after the question, they're like, all right, who, why are you reaching out to me? Yeah, and then <laughs> I, I answered that. And then I just go into kind of, this is what we do. This is kind of what we've done recently action call you know like like this net like next week let's get on a call if you're interested in i'd hyperlink the deck for docsend i'd be able to see it you know i linked my figma once we had like our branding and a click-through demo because like it worked better than like having them watch a loom video you know they can just click 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 and uh yeah i would just track links and be obsessive about it in a way that's like unhealthy you know i was just like on like i was like i was like we have four months before the company doesn't work and we're going into savings and like for the last month and a half two months of this seed round we had run out of burn like so me and my founders like we were extending our bank accounts like our savings like we're just now this is like a month about this is two months into our next round and like we're just now kind of getting back to even you know like getting things back to square one we didn't want to just like flush everything back and be good like we knew that like we have a good budget we have a lot of buffer we're <laughs> mapping it out for 27 months this month you know yes <laughs> like we're in no rush to spend this money where this is our lifeline and obviously we're working very very hard around the clock we're all just super inspired so you mentioned i think on a uh oh, this was like a youtube video or something i saw that like you also, I, mean, I think you told me this in person, actually, but you got, got a good valuation for this company, even though like, yeah, I guess you'd start other things, but first venture back company, I think. Yeah. Uh, so like, take me through that. And that you said there's a big negotiation period, just how you even approach that as a founder, like, and trying to get the terms you wanted. So, um, firstly, it was, it was a pleasure talking. It wasn't, I wouldn't use the term negotiation as in just like a clarity inspection. Yeah. You know, we were just going through. And just making sure we were sure of everything that was going down. Um, because this was the first, uh, we're the first portfolio company of their new fund. Um, it started in, in, in the US, you know, previously they were in Singapore and Amsterdam with their fintech fund. Um, so it was just more or less like talking about how it's being structured, kind of like specific deal points. Um, and the reason why it just took a long time is we started the negotiation when the markets were great, but like after March and like April, it like oh really God. dropped and like a lot of people were pulling term sheets and this, that, and they didn't. They said that it was a promise. It was just a different conversation. So while we were finalizing the first one, the kind of lens changed. We had to do a little bit more due diligence um, as, and we respected it. It was a great process. And at no point did we feel like we were being taken for a ride. I feel like that's something you have to be almost like uncomfortably aware of. We felt good. Um, it was just a different timeline, a different process because we were in a different environment. 
now like looking back like there shouldn't have been no worries obviously like I'm downplaying how much I was stressed <laughs> out at times um like and that wasn't because I was like is this coming it was more like I have a team that like in uh, four weeks like how am I gonna pay them you know yeah. like how yeah, is yeah. that gonna happen like and it's a diverse team you know like one of the one of the guys who lives in in Sweden Anders he's our, our designer he had a kid you know and it's like he obviously has a different job he's working on someone's side but you know it's like there's just extenuating factors for like every person so making sure that like I'm not a stress point in their lives is just that becomes the stress on you um, but it worked out you know so I'm, I'm glad it did everyone can just breathe now which is great <laughs> yeah the air is a little bit more fresh you know so. yeah let's talk a little bit more about the company though so in terms of like the business model take me through that because you have multiple different like stakeholders in this in terms of like customers. yeah so take me um, through that so i'll i'll just focus on where we're at right now and what yeah. we're focusing on through our next raise and that's just the i would say the acquisition and partnering with different game studios so we already have access to the kind of open API, larger um, like esport companies like Riot, Epic Games, their ecosystem, their data. Our main goal right now is to meet and talk with different mobile, Unity, Unreal Engine games, like all of these indie games, let's say around 10,000 monthly users. They're making maybe half a million to a million dollars in revenue in a year. And they just want to kind of start using that data, you know, like start understanding it, taking their community and really, and it, and it's for very cheap. Like, it's not like we're like raking up and trying to be a SaaS company. Like we have a very cheap model to the point where we're almost not making a profit. Like, cause the goal is to kind of build this pool, um, which our investors are aware of. We're very um, on the same page so that we can provide benefits in different, like I would say SaaS features down the line. Like right now, um, while the SDK does rival um, SaaS, um, it isn't meant to be a huge revenue in like income stream. Like, and, and to give more clarity on that, we we are like kind of in the same line as what Google hosting fees are. Um, we're we have even made some of them more efficient because it's specific to this um, type of game and system. You know, we're able to crack it. It's not a one size fit all. So. It's getting that data, meeting with all these different developers, um, and like kind of getting a little bit of cash flow going. Um, I can give you a little peek around the corner for the the bigger kind of money drivers. So we've been talking to a series of game studios on the tier one level, and this is where we're looking at like a three sixty kind of data agreement where it's we're taking all of the data from all the players, like whether they're content creators or on their esports teams. And we're providing insights of value. So for the esports teams, we're getting their individual stats, how their game stats are. And then we're also collecting the enemy's game stats. So we can really build, start to build a picture of how they're not only like um, landing in, in their kind of environment, but potentially different ways to view um, the problems they're facing. You know, we're not going to have the data to like provide solutions, but we're at least <laughs> pointing out the problems right away. Um, for the content creators and and just the organization as it all like listening tools to gather data about them so they're really getting a more clear picture so kind of using this data ingestion engine as a, a form of kind of providing um, more valuable insights to not only developers in the early stage 
gamers always, but but these kind of bigger third parties and brands who um, who are interested in kind of monetizing those. Um, so, how do you look at growth? I know you mentioned kind of looking at different studios or people are going after. Is that always in the beginning what you kind of thought the growth was going to be, and like how are you going after that? Because obviously you have this whole like experience around yeah. outreach, and you can do that, but also. Like how you have limited time in any any company you're building, limited time, limited yeah. resources. You're always thinking about like how do you grow? How do you look at that? So we're being super clear. Like we 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 realized very early on we wanted to accomplish so much, but when you really break it down into what's the realistic format, obviously our goal is to have the player profile where all the stats are being fed, and we're building on the consumer side. You know, there's billions, there are hundreds of millions of gamers. I'm not exactly sure on the the exact number. And they're all playing, you know, that's a huge target market versus like, let's say, uh, like 10 million game studios, you know? So sure. we understood that we need data to like make this more valuable for the players, or it's it's just kind of something that everyone else has access to, you know? So we realized we couldn't have the, the chicken before the egg, you know? So we went back, we're really building this pipeline to us, making sure it's a really valuable kind of system for these players to be onboarded. So once we kind of get past that 100 studio, 100 to 1,000 mark, we'll be really opening it up to players because there'll be enough games to make it valuable for them. And then we're going into the the growth of players. And then that's kind of the like cycle. And once it gets going, it's like, all right, the gamers are getting a more clear picture of their data, like how they can improve, where they stand in the world, like what opportunities are now open to them. The games are like, wow, this isn't, uh, Timmy X34, and this is Connor, and these are his stats. You know, you have this statistical fingerprint on the players. So it's a more clear picture. They know how to make the system better. And then these brands aren't barking down the wrong branch. You know, these esports teams are able to identify talent they couldn't previously identify. So you really kind of get this cog going, building it, making it uh, smooth and efficient. And then from there, you, you're able to really um, disrupt this industry in a positive way. Um, me, this is all coming as a, from a gamer. Um, Juno yeah. is a gamer. Randy's a gamer. He, gamer <laughs> Randy's also a game developer. He's made a lot of games. So it's like he's felt these pain points on both sides. So we really came together as a team to, to kind of build this solution. I want to I wanna double click on that real quick. You just yeah. mentioned co-founders and like the team. How did you meet them? How did you decide that like we are going to work together? And how do you even manage that relationship with them, obviously all over the world. This is something that everyone kind of was thrown into with COVID and working, you know, remotely, et cetera. But how do you then also, you know, build those relationships yeah. and run it? I would categorize it and, and summarize it in one sentence where it's, it's jumping off the cliff and learning to grow wings on the way down. Um, and you'll understand why. So I, I, I've followed that a lot in my way where it's just like kind of jump and figure it out on the way down. Because if you're thinking about jumping, like you're always going to have thought about what if and like better to try it. Yeah. Um, so I was I was starting and thinking about Pogger. I, it wasn't called Pogger then. It was just this idea, this player profile system, APIs, like data, like to update it automatically, you know, this kind of central leaderboard um, yeah. that was kind of running through my mind. And I had been obviously telling some of the people we I had been deciding if I want to continue my contract at the company or if I wanted to pursue this. Like I had like a couple, like two weeks really before I had to like renew it. I was going out. And one of these nights I, I very much, I met this guy named Raphael. He ended up being one of my first angel checks. And after a long conversation at a, at a house party in Venice, actually, um, I was inspired <laughs> to, uh, to really go home and really at least write everything out. You know, like I yeah. had it all up here, but I was like, all right, 
I've, this is my first rodeo. It's like, what am I accomplishing? How am I going to make money on it? Like, how am I going to get users? Who do I know? Like, and after I put it all down there, I was like, damn, this is pretty good. And I had been like, other people, and this is kind of where the universe, if you, if you say the direction you want to go, then it's good wind or bad wind. You know, I was having good mm-hmm. wind and I kind of just had both of my co-founders drop into my lap on discord. One, they were through mutual people in my previous like businesses. One was a CTO at my older company named Ahmed. He connected me to my friend Randolph and it was, he said, Randolph needs help on this one thing. Once we got started talking, he really liked my idea and we saw how there was synergy um, with Juno, my, one of my friends, Zach, who uh, did business at one of the other companies I was at. Um, he was like, Hey, I know this guy, he just got off a really cool project. He's interested in your idea. You guys should talk. And like within the span of like three or four days, I like was talking to both my co-founders and they were liking the idea. So I would say like after I, after that first conversation in Venice, like we had a LLC, um, or actually I think we went straight to C Corp. I think we were just ready to just take on the world. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we had a C Corp two weeks later, you know, and, and that was in July of 2021. Um, and yeah, no, it, it's crazy. Cause like we got our funding our 2.25 million at 20, uh, on, at July of, of, of 2022. So it was, it was that kind of one That's year crazy. mark. We had gone through a lot. Um, but it, it shows that it just can move fast, you know, like it was one decision and the snowball grew. It got bigger and bigger and we're moving at fast momentum. We're breaking like we're, we're, we're we were very safe to like figure out how our timeline was to make sure that we were QAing properly. Um, and we're, we're, we're beating past our deadlines and we're, we're, we're super excited. It's just the right place, right time, right team. So uh, I would say it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky for that. Like it, it doesn't always work this way. Every previous failure was a prime example of how everything could be good except one thing and it doesn't work. But um, when everything's in full motion, it, it's kind of scary. It's, it's interesting hearing that. Cause like what I always think about is a quote and I um, I'm trying to think of, it, I don't remember who exactly says it, but it's basically thinking about like companies fail, startups fail, but founders don't fail. Like founders, if you keep trying a different company, like you, you don't fail. So there's that dynamic as well, you know, and thinking about that. And I think about that all the time uh, of, of that. It's like, okay, well, if the founder doesn't fail over time, as long as they're willing to continue to eat yeah. shit for a while. And you learn, like, you know, it's not even failing sometimes. It's yeah. really just like, it's learning how to be better the next time. But that's, if you, if you do stop, like, yeah. you're like, like it, you are done, you know, like that's like, it resonates, but you know, no one, for no one remembers the like 20 at bats. They remember the home run, you know? So yeah. And I've talked to so many entrepreneurs and like, that's the thing. No one's talking about those, like whatever yeah. amount of failures, they could have like 20 different failures, 30 different, yeah. failures. who cares? As long as the ones work. I know there's a classic, uh, blue ship entrepreneur, but, uh, Peter levels. I don't know if you heard no. of him from uh, nomad list and lover, he basically created like uh, a bunch of different companies, but his most successful ones, I think he makes like 3 million a year, uh, bootstrapped and just like his nomad wow. crushing it, like just chill kind of whatever. And like, you know, he talks about his different projects and he's had like 20, 30, whatever, might be more than that. Might be like way more than actually that failed. And he's like, yeah, like no one cares yeah. about those projects though. They're just done. They just didn't work out. And now nomad lists and remote. Okay. are his two biggest ones. And like, they are crushing. He makes multi-millions per year as like a solo founder. <laughs> he's just like, it's a chill. I was like, that's kind of, no, crazy. it's really, so like, it's inspiring. You can always create something. You know? Yeah, exactly. And 
with what you're doing with Pogger, there's like so obviously a grand vision with this as well. You have some funding, you have some great co-founders. One thing I'm curious about with you, you mentioned I think in another pod, uh, interview or something uh, around like being like a voracious reader. Yeah. Like he loves to read. And I, if people who are watching the video version, uh, you can see yeah. books behind <laughs> you. <laughs> there's a big bu bunch of those. <laughs> Take me through like that. Have you always been like a big reader? Like, is, are you talking business books? Are you talking every type? Like, what are you reading? Yeah, I love that. books. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I was reading a lot more until the last like two years. And now I'm deep on podcasts, like how I built this, Ooh. my first million, um, all of these like kind of the four hour work week <laughs> with Tim Ferriss, you know, all these different kind of ones where you get a sneak peek into the founders and then audiobooks while I'm on my computer. Um, I fell in love with reading in high school after um, this elite business camp. I, I, I just finished speaking there. Uh, but one of the um, kind of, successful entrepreneurs who is speaking like challenge all the kids he's like i have these five books that i love if you write like kind of your own synopsis not like a like a book report whatever like your own learnings from the books and send them to me like i'll take a meeting for any one of your business ideas like i sent them all in hmm. the business idea never ended up happening but i was like i, he, I still won i loved reading you know like at this point like it didn't stop <laughs> there and I, it got to a point in high school where I was like reading in class and getting in trouble because like I was I would say I was pretty smart. So but like my grades by no means proved that. Um, so I would do the bare minimum at school. But like I was always like on my laptop looking up what I wanted to look reading in class with a different book. And like I was reading like a book a week for like a year and a half in like my saw end of like end of sophomore to like middle of like senior year. And it was it was dope. Um, like I have a couple favorites. I've read reread re a few, like Richest Man of Babylon. I've read like multiple times. Mm, yep. uh, a Man's Search for Meaning is probably my favorite book of all time. Victor Frankl just does it um, so beautifully. But then there's, there's <laughs> tons of other books, you know, like Robert Greene is a great author, Malcolm Gladwell. Like I'm really focused into uh, a Walter Isaacson with just kind of the the sneak peek into like biographies. Um, that's kind of my lane. Like I'll get into a little bit of kind of uh, storytelling, but I really love biographies or just kind of case studies into things that work because that's what kind of interests me. That's why I was into it. Like every one, it wasn't like a story I was trying to figure out. It was like things I could apply to my own life because I was always doing stuff and it's like I'd read like 48 Laws of Power and I'd apply a couple of them to my life, you know, it's like, or I'm rereading The Alchemist yeah, yeah. for the fifth time before a decision and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even think of it this way. Um, so yeah <laughs> yeah i i i am a big fan of those i'm actually reading um meditations by mark aurelius right now um and actually i've never read it before so it's my first time going through it so i'm 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 loving it so other okay okay any other suggestions on books uh any other, like favorite biographies? Uh, i mean the steve jobs one by by walter isaacson is my best like my favorite it's 800 pages but yeah. like you get like sneak peeks into the yeah, mind of a genius you know like that man for, for better, for worse, for like all the controversy among among him. He was just like the people who like built with him and like podcasts, like say like they did their best work with him, you know? So like there has to be something behind that. Sometimes it's not the, the route to like how you did it, but like how like you got there, you know, you can take different pieces of it. So he was just a great operator. Um, so, and I, I kind of relate to him in the sense that like he really disrupted the world, but he didn't really understand a deep level of coding you know he understood it and how it works with the world and how to build with it but the actual 
activity of doing it um, was was not one of his expertises. So just kind of having that similarity in today's yeah. age, I feel like most of the really successful um, tech billionaires or just like people who have started great companies, they came from a development background. So um, it's kind of hard to draw a lot of truisms from that directly to my life. Yeah, you're like I, I don't have that same <laughs> skill set of them. So you're like, uh, cool, but uh, I can't really build the same that they could, which is interesting. I, I'm also a massive fan of biographies. I think there's, I think which ones I even had read recently, but like Thomas Edison 100%. was an interesting one because I think him in terms of like being like the most prolific person creating things I've probably 100%. ever heard of. Like at one point in time, it was like he's doing a patent every few days. Yeah. It seems like it's like what <laughs> you're like that output's ridiculous and like obviously it just took a maniacal focus on creating and building things and to your point like there's the negative sides of all that too we can't like glorify without the negatives of like what about family life what about all that stuff but like it's super inspiring on seeing those things same with like a david goggins book david as goggins, well yeah. like they yeah you're just you see that you're like wow like I need to push myself a little farther. I can do way more. Like I can definitely handle this little, oh, building a company. Okay. He's talking about Navy yeah. SEAL stuff and like all this craziness. We're like, all right, well, maybe I can. And that's why else. I love you know? podcasts. <laughs> that's why I love how I built this. Cause like every single person is like, yeah. you can hear the pain in the voice where it's like, they go back to it. It's not mm -hmm. a foreign feeling. Like they struggled and it was, it was like, they could have, it could have gone either way. The reason why they're on the podcast is because yeah. it went the good way, you know? So it's like kind of hearing that, makes it a little True. bit easier, makes the road a little bit smoother. Um, and yeah, I'm super thankful. Like uh, books were great because it's like, you get kind of this like timeless piece of content, but like podcasts, like I just listened, like it was like, I, I got it early, but it's like the the CEO of Roblox. Like that's the most hot thing right now in the world. Like he couldn't write a book and get it out to me. Like I got to hear an hour of him talk from all his failures, his startups, he was a quantum engineer, you know, like that, like went, took the leap, you know? Hmm. Uh, so it's like, it, I love that like real one-to-one. -one. It's like, if you're doing something crazy in a space, like someone can tap in and listen. And like, I love it. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. And I think that, they, that you mentioned my first million, which is a great podcast for anyone who hasn't heard it already. And like, they just talked about like their whole, just like a basketball camp, like a camp, my first million or whatever. Uh, they're talking about, like, you know, if you're in this environment for, they were like a physical environment, two, two, two days or something, like surrounded by people who are very ambitious and driven and doing crazy things. You can't help but be like, sit, come home at night, you're like, wow, like, what should I be doing? You're influenced by that. But if you're always reading books and listening to podcasts and stuff, you like brainwash yourself into thinking, hey, maybe I can do whatever. Like, maybe I could do that. Maybe I do something bigger. Like, oh, and you're always surrounded by it. I just have always found the value in it, even from just like a, it's just always in your head of thinking about those types of things then you can't think small. Anymore. Yeah. And we have so many resources now, like, and like you can really do anything if you just sit down and, and get to it. Cause like YouTube is the funnel into like anything you need to figure out. You want to write a contract. There's a way to do it. If you want to set up something, build something, fix something, it's there. And Reddit is a, the next freaking search engine. You know, it's like, there's so much like user um, kind of feedback on every problem someone's faced and like ways to solve it. So um, I really feel like you're right. Like you say, brainwashing yourself so that you can think that you can do anything and then really like using the tools that are available. Um, cause the internet's getting, it's a smaller and smaller world. Everyone knows someone like there's always ways to really do something. Uh, and like, I know I talk about Steve jobs a lot, but it's like, what, like his quote, once you realize that you can influence the world, like, like you're going to want to do it, you know, you, you can, you can really change it. Um, 
and effective. And that that was contagious. Where I want to just yeah. end this is with Pogger, and if if all goes right, trajectory continues. Where does this get to? What does it look like in five, 10 years, whatever, when Pogger has done what you want to do? And obviously you can say it's never finished. You're always going IPO and beyond. You're just building this company. But where do you want to get this to? What does it look like when Pogger is where you want I'd to I'd love be? a world where um, the gaming space is transparent in the fact where I mentioned kind of a statistical fingerprint. I really do mean that, but in a broader sense to where... Um, all these games are built on the same plane, you know, the version of what we're calling a metaverse is a place that we can all interact and interchange without having to jump from world to world, you know, and losing what you've gained. You know, it's not it's like if you walked to work and like you didn't have anything of your previous life, you know, everything's split. So kind of having this pogger authorization OAuth where you we understand you as a player and we're making every game experience more um, personalized for you as a gamer to provide a, an opportunity pipeline, you know, provide kind of take down all pre-existing gatekeepers and make it an open plane. You know, anyone can do anything because the information's right there. You know, it's not like you're just going in blind and having to make your own gut decisions. You can validate things. So uh, a hyper-connected world online um, where the opportunities are are yours to take. You know, right now, like sometimes the opportunities just aren't there. Um, so kind of me as a, a gamer, like young, young gamer, I wish that I could do whatever I yeah. wanted. So that's what I hope. Um, like I hope that if you have a controller, a keyboard, a mouse, and a dream, you can do anything. You can build a world and we'll help. You can like try and create a career and we'll help. And then like you, you can really just, I don't know, be and connect with a, a different wave of people online. Um, it's yeah, just a connected world. That is exciting. And you'll just come on the podcast for round two when we've done yeah. that and uh, talk Happily. about how, yeah, I called my shot. I yep. called my shot. No, there I, we got were. You. I told you. <laughs> Connor, where can people learn more about Pogger? And also if they want to reach out to you and connect with you, Awesome. Yeah. The best place is on Instagram um, at P-O-G-R. Uh, we got that username. We're really excited. Um, our website is P-O-G-R.G-G. Um, so that's uh, where you can get some information, sign up for our wait list. And then uh, I'm at Connor Ellison, C-O-N-N-O-R-E-L-L-I-S-O-N everywhere. So that's, uh, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, happy to chat. Thank you. I appreciate you having me oh, on the, the podcast, Justin. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.